Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning, everyone. I got to be honest, I was not expecting this many people the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So, so it's great to see all of you. If I haven't met you, my name is Jake. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Candeo. I was at a, at a membership class a couple weeks ago at Scott Rieger's house, and I'd only met one person in the whole class. Like, we got a ton of people uh, jumping in at Candeo. So thanks so much for being here, um, especially this Sunday after Thanksgiving. It's awesome that you're here because we are starting a new series this morning, our Advent series. Now, Advent isn't a word that we use a lot. Maybe if you grew up in like a, maybe a more traditional church setting or somewhere that kind of follows a church calendar, you might be more familiar with it. But we don't really use the word Advent a whole lot. But what the word Advent simply means is arrival, Advent means arrival, and it's, it's actually pretty similar to the word Christmas. I don't know if you know what Christmas means. It's actually two words. Uh, you can probably guess how it's broken up. You have Christ, that's kind of obvious, and then you have mass, which is the Latin word for to send or for dismissal, and so it's really Christ sent, Christ sent into the world. So for centuries, many churches have taken the Sundays between, between Thanksgiving and Christmas to focus on the arrival of Jesus Christ, the advent of Jesus born into the world. Now, I know for some, I think it's easy for us, especially as we get into the Christmas season, to kind of see Christmas in a um, kind of like a fairy tale, right? It's almost like it's animated, I don't know if it's like the movies we watch or something like that. It just seems like Christmas is kind of this animated thing that's kind of real, not real. It's not, it's not as live action. If that's you or if maybe you know someone like that, I just want to real quick throw a resource your way. Um, Rebecca McLaughlin, one of my favorite authors, she wrote a short, it's barely a book. I mean, this is like a pamphlet, right? Um, she wrote a short little work we'll say that, uh, called Is Christmas Unbelievable? We've got a handful of these back in the Resource Center for two bucks. It's cheaper than Amazon, all right? So, um, but what this book covers is it answers four questions about Christmas that maybe if you're a bit skeptical of the reality of Christmas or you know someone who is a bit skeptical and you're like, how do I interact with people about Christmas? She answers four questions. Uh, the first one, was Jesus even a real person? Can we take the Bible seriously? How can you believe in the virgin birth? And why does it even matter? Four really amazing questions that hopefully, like as you read through it, you'll be better equipped to interact with maybe your skeptical or unbelieving friends and family this season. So grab that um, after the service at the Resource Center. But for many people, whether you're a Christian or not, the Bible might seem like this old long, intimidating book, right? And, and you might go, okay, man, this thing's a bit long. Can you just give me the SparkNotes version? Like, can I get a SparkNotes Bible? Wait, like, can we make it this size, huh? Like, can I just get the, just give me the big picture. What's the big picture of the Bible? Kind of, kind of like a one-sentence summary of what this long book has to say. And I would argue that, may, that a, probably a good one-statement description of what the Bible is about is that the Bible 
is about how God wants to be with people and about how people can be with God. That's it. The thousand or whatever pages you have on your phone or sitting in your lap is about how God wants to be with people and about how people can be with God. And if that's like the main storyline of the Bible, the way that that plays out throughout the scriptures is kind of in like four acts. If you think of like a play, like a four act play. And what we're going to do over the, next, over the course of the next four weeks in our Advent series is we're going to look at each act of this play that shows us how God wants to be with people and how people can be with God. And the four acts of that play are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's the storyline. That's the plot line of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. In fact, if you, if you, maybe you saw it as you walked through the foyer, there's actually four paintings out in the foyer that were painted by one of our college students. We commissioned those to be done for this series. So uh, if you haven't checked those out, make sure you check out uh, the paintings. Tyler Oberman, maybe you know, maybe some of you know him. He did a great job. So check those out. Um, but you might wonder, so this week we're looking at creation. You might wonder why in a series about Christmas, would you start with creation? Like, why would you start in the Old Testament? I thought this was, about, this was about Jesus and a manger and angels and, and wise men and donkeys, which by the way, can you just do, us, just do us a favor? Just try it this season. If you don't like it, you can change it next season. Don't put your wise men next to your nativity scene because they weren't there. <laughs> they're on their way. Like they come when he's a top. So like put them across the room. Like they're on their way. Like, just, just try it out. You might like it. I'm just saying, you can leave your shepherds. They were there. Wise men weren't. So why, why in a series about Christmas start in creation? The reason for that, the reason to start in creation as we move toward Christmas is because it's here at the very beginning that is the story of everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the story of the beginning of everything. And it's the story that lays the foundation for the answers to some of life's biggest questions. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? These are questions that all of us have to answer and all of us have to wrestle with. And the answer to those questions will deeply inform the way that we actually live our lives. Now, maybe some of you like try to avoid questions like that. It's kind of uncomfortable as you talk about purpose and it's like, oh, this, that's very existential. Why? I'm just going to be very, you know, uh, near focused here, nearsighted. Well, they're questions we all have to answer. Maybe some of you fill your life with noise to kind of avoid answering these questions, but we can't avoid them because in the silence, it's questions like this that kind of shine through. I, I, I'll never forget, I had a friend who I knew him for a long time. We went to high school together and, and somewhere around our senior year of high school, he just kind of like abandoned the faith. Just like, I'm done with this. I'm, I wanna live however I want. His name was John. Really good friends with John. And uh we graduated, we, we went to two different colleges, so we weren't really around each other a whole lot, but especially that first semester, our freshman year, I, it, it was like clockwork. It was like every Saturday night, really Sunday morning, at like 
2.30 in the morning, my phone would ring. I'd be asleep, and it's John. Because he had done everything he wanted to do. He'd lived however he wanted to live. He'd, the party was done. The bars were closed. But it was in that moment that he was back in the silence, wrestling with these questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And so we start at creation because it's at creation that the Bible lays the foundation for the answers to these questions. So this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at three things as it relates to creation that we need to understand if we're gonna truly grasp what's going on at Christmas. Three things as it relates to creation if we're gonna truly grasp what's going on at Christmas. And those three things are the delight of creation, the dignity of creation, and the direction of creation. The delight of creation, the dignity of creation, and the direction of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now you might say, that's nice. I've heard that before. But that's an ancient story. Like, aren't we, aren't we more sophisticated? Now, like, like, don't we have science to explain everything? Like, why we haven't, aren't we more enlightened? Haven't we gotten past looking at an ancient book to inform everything we believe about the world? Well, I would say what, this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, you believe some sort of story that explains where everything came from. You do. You believe a story that explains where everything came from. Now, for some, it, like with like atheistic, naturalistic evolution, the story where everything came from is that in the beginning, there was nothing that exploded to make something. Or maybe not in the beginning, there was nothing. In the beginning, there was something that has always existed, that has eternally existed. There was something that somehow came together to form something that made everything that we know, or at least began the process. Now, that's a, that's a creation story, which I would say takes just as much faith to believe that story as it takes to believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Because reality is, is those two stories, those are two stories that you cannot prove scientifically, which means that they are stories, both stories, that require faith. So whether you believe in the Christian story of creation or the scientific story of explosions and evolution, I, what I want you to do is I want you to consider this morning which story is actually is the story that you're believing actually better than the Christian story of creation that we, hear in the, that we have here in the Bible? Is it better? Does it better explain the way that things actually are? Because not only do we believe a story about uh, where, we came, where everything came from, we believe a story about what everything was made for. We all believe in a story about the purpose of life. 
We all believe a story about what brings fulfillment, about what brings happiness. We all believe a story about what it means to be a fully flourishing human. Now, now here's, here's a few stories that you could believe to answer those questions. Uh, you could believe a, a romantic story. Here's what the romantic story of life says. Here's how you know if you're living in a romantic story of life. That the romantic story of life says that true happiness, that true purpose comes in expressing and being true to all of your emotions and feelings. What you feel is most true. And what you need to do is express those feelings and then be affirmed in those expressions by everyone else. That, that is a romantic story. Now for some, you believe a pragmatic story that says that truth and meaning are determined by what works, by, by, by what ultimately makes me feel good. It's, it's very connected to the romantic story, actually. And what's, what's interesting in the pragmatic story is that often uh, you'll know people who are living in a pragmatic story, maybe you are, is that everything is determined by what feels good in the moment. So it's, it's very much a short-term gain, long-term long loss strategy. Kind of like a guess and check. Does this person make me feel good? Let's, let's see. Uh, maybe this person. Maybe this person, maybe this, maybe this job, maybe that job, maybe that substance, maybe that thing. Guess and check. It's a pragmatic story. There's a story of perfectionism that says that your purpose in life is to be perfect because it's only when you are perfect that you will be loved and accepted and wanted and respected. And when you have everything in your life going well, when, when, you, when your body is perfect, when your environment is perfect, that's when happiness will come. It's a story of perfectionism. There's a story of consumerism, really easy right now. I have deleted hundreds of Black Friday deal emails. Maybe you have too. The story of consumerism that says that the good life is had in accumulating objects and experiences by getting things, by getting things and by doing things. It's the story of consumerism. But the Christian story says something much different. The Christian story, in the beginning, God created, says something very different about the purpose of life, says very diff very, something very different about what human flourishing actually is because in the beginning, God created means that you and I and everything that exists did not create ourselves. But we were created by the creator, which means that we do not define ourselves. And we do not define what it means to be a truly flourishing human. We do not get to define what it means to be fulfilled and happy. In the beginning, God created is the Christian explanation for the way that things are supposed to be. I've, I've never met anyone who has stepped back and looked at the world and said, ah, this is how it was meant to be. Never have. Now, maybe, maybe you have in like a moment where maybe at Thanksgiving you had, you know, everyone around the table, everyone was back home, and maybe you thought, ah, this is the way things are supposed to be. I'm not talking about in a moment. We can kind of see that momentary way. But when you step back and look at the state of our world as it is today, as advanced technologically as we are, I have not met one person. I bet there's no one in this room who would say, yes, this is the way that things are supposed to be. Now, why is that? 
Because you can't say things aren't the way they're supposed to be unless you somehow have a sense of the way things should be. Because the reality this morning is that whether you are a Christian or not in this room, you have the echoes of creation etched deep within your heart. This is why some of you, if you particularly fall into this perfectionism story, this is why it drives you crazy when things aren't just precisely right. Why is that? Because in the Garden of Eden, things were precisely right. We have echoes of creation etched deep within our hearts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the story of everything begins with God. And when you begin with God, this is the delight of creation. When you begin with God, everything that comes from God is good. See, if you read the rest of the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see over and over again that after God creates, he looks at his creation and it says, and God saw that it was good. You see, our world was originally created to be good. Now, certainly something has gone wrong. We're going to get to that next week. I'm not going to spoil, you know, I'm not going to steal Cody's thunder here. But the reality is that we were that we live in a world that was designed to be good, which means that we still are able to recognize and appreciate glimmers of the goodness of the way that God has designed his creation. Have you ever wondered why there are so many colors? Have you ever thought, I think we just kind of assume, like, yeah, there's just a lot of colors. Why are there so many colors? Why are there so many smells? Why are there so many tastes? Why are there so many sounds? Like, why, why were we created with taste buds? Have you ever wondered that? We could have been made solar powered. Like Wally. You ever seen Wally? He just wakes up one day, batteries on low, just drags himself out into the sun and just recharges. That'd be way more efficient. It's like, man, I'm really tired. Okay, take a walk outside, man. Like, recharge your battery. Why, why weren't we made solar powered? Why were we, why? Why is steak so good? Now, for you vegetarians, I'm sorry. I don't know the steak equivalent for you. Brussels sprouts or kale, I don't know. Um, why is steak so good? It doesn't have to be good, but it is. Smoked ribs. What type? That's close to lunch, okay. Why? It doesn't have to be that way. And yet, have, you, have you ever noticed that there are way more things in this world to enjoy than we actually have the time and capacity to enjoy them? Like there's an excess, even in our broken, fallen world, there's an excess of good things. And not only that, why is the universe so big? Have you ever thought about that? Like we only get utility out of this planet. I know Elon's trying to get us to Mars, but still, we can only use this planet, but yet there's planets and moons and solar systems and galaxies and stars. Why so big when we only use this little part of it? Why? Why did God create so many wonderful things? It was to tell us something about himself. To tell us 
that not only is he the creator, but that he is overwhelmingly, incomprehensibly, unfathomably good. The reason why the world was designed good is because it was meant to tell us something about the designer. Just, just like a shadow is meant to point you to the substance, right? Like I don't, I don't just like, I don't just stare at my wife's shadow. Like all that does is make me aware of her. The greater thing than the shadow, which means that whether you're a Christian or not, the fact that you enjoy anything in this world is a signpost that is meant to show you that you were meant to enjoy God. This is the delight of creation, but we also have the dignity of creation. Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. You see what's happening in Genesis 1 is that it's the creation account starts out zoomed out. And then as you read verse by verse by verse, we begin to zoom in as, as God gets to the pinnacle of his creation, which is humanity. And then especially in chapter 2, chapter 2 is like a magnifying glass on the creation account of humanity. And what we see is that humans were created in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? What that means first is that humans are created in the image of God, which means that we are not the creator. So that means we are not God, but we are created in the image of God. We are created according to God's likeness. It's the only time in the creation account that that word is ever used is in the creation of humans. You see, we as humans have been given unique dignity in relation to creation because we have been made in the image of God, which this means a lot of things. But one of the things that this means is that this is the reason for, this, this is the basis for universal human rights. This is the basis for the sense of justice that we all have, whether you're a Christian or not, you desire justice, that the things that have, that the, that the wrongs of the world would be made right. Why? Because you've been created in the image of God and given the dignity of God. See, human rights do not exist without the belief of the image of God. In the Nuremberg trials, some of, you, some of you history buffs might know this. In the Nuremberg trials from 1945 to 1949, the, the followers of Hitler during the Holocaust were put on trial. And rightly so, we would all say. They were put on trial. But there, there were a couple problems. Is that they couldn't be tried on the basis of the justices of the trial, primarily the Soviet Union, the United States, and the United Kingdom, they couldn't be tried on the basis of those justices overseeing the trial because these people weren't citizens of those nations. But they also couldn't be tried on the basis of German law because they hadn't broken any German laws. 
But the way that they were indicted was they were indicted because they were accused of committing crimes against humanity. Now, you and I would all say, those people who committed those atrocities during that time should absolutely be held to account for their actions. And the reason for that, the reason why they were, were prosecuted and tried under committing crimes against humanity is because of the fundamental belief that human beings are created in the image of God because human beings have unique dignity in creation. You see, human rights, universal human rights, only exist if there is a morality that isn't confined to time, culture, place, and ethnicity. You see, we're told often today that, well, well, the only reason why, why you have the beliefs that you have is because you grew up where you grew up. You had the parents that you had, you had the culture that you had. That morality is based on culture and location. But we all know that to not be ultimately true because we believe that there are things that are right and wrong regardless of where it is happening in the world. That even if a culture says it is okay to oppress and kill those people, we say, that's not right. Why is that? It's because etched within each of our hearts is the image of God. And we know deep down that each human has been created with dignity and worth and is worthy of respect. Being made in the image of God gives humans unique dignity, but finally it also gives us unique direction Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. Real simply, what God is saying is that he's looking at his image bearers, those who bear the image of God according to his likeness that were made to reflect his glory. He's saying, hey, you image bearers, you people that I've created to reflect my glory, go reflect my greatness and my glory and my goodness to the ends of the earth. You see, Adam and Eve weren't meant to just stay in the garden. That's where they started, but they were meant to expand the garden to the ends of the earth in this, in this God-glorifying, earth-filling mission. And not just them, but us as well. What's so interesting here is that Genesis 1.28 is what you could call the great commission of the Old Testament. Because be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is not just a command to have kids, though certainly there is an aspect of that, but it is so similar to Matthew 28 where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples where of all nations. Go fill the earth with people who reflect my glory. This is the direction of creation. This is the purpose for which we were created, was to reflect the glory of God to the ends of the earth. Everything God created, he created to communicate something about himself. Creation is good because God is good. Humans are valuable because God is infinitely valuable. Humans were created for community. See this? In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them in community. Or if he zoomed in in chapter 2, verse 18, as we get kind of like the full, like the director's cut edition of the creation of humanity, where God looks at Adam before Eve is created and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. Why? 
Humans were created for community because God exists in community. Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make man in our image. You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible, but you'll see it all over the Bible. That God is one in essence, three in persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And humans were created to be together because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are perfectly united together. Why, why in the world have mental health issues gone through the roof over the last two years? Why? It's because we lived in isolation. We were not created to be alone. We were created to be together because God is perfectly together. But not only that, humans were created male and female because just as Father, Son, and Spirit are united, they're also distinct. You see, God didn't discover sex and then just give it like arbitrary rules, right? He didn't just like bump into Adam and Eve one day and be like, whoa, you look different. Hmm, what am I gonna do about that? No, he created sex and gender to communicate something about himself. And what he's communicating is that it's because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equally valuable but they are also complementary in their roles. They are distinct from one another. And in the same way, men and women, equally valuable, yet also distinct and complementary. Gender issues matter because gender was not designed for our self-expression. Gender was designed to express who God is. This is the way things were meant to be. God himself dwelling with humanity in his good creation as they display his glory to the ends of the earth. Because as creator, God is the one who gets to write the story. God is the one who gets to determine the plot. Who better than the author to know the way that things are supposed to be? Who better than the creator than to know how things should work best? I I, I was talking to my kids last night And I asked them this question. It's a poorly worded question. I didn't know how else to ask it. Um, But it was something to the effect of, uh, hey, when when you make something, what does that mean that you get to do? They thought about it, because it's not a very, very well worded question, but they kind of understood. They said, well, because you made it, you get, you get to name it, like, okay. You get, you get to decide how it looks, and you get to determine what it does. This is from a five-year-old. We know deep down within us that because we are created and not creator, that it is the creator, it is the designer who gets to determine the way that that thing actually works the way it was intended to work. So the question this morning, as we begin with creation, the goodness of creation, the the delight of creation, the dignity of creation, the direction of creation, the question this morning is you, as the created, Are you submitting 
to the good authority of the creator? Or are you trying to create yourself in the image that you want? God, I don't, I don't like the way you made me. So I'm going to remake myself. I don't like the life you've given me. So I'm going to, I'm going to manipulate it to be exactly what I want. God, I, I know I, I hear, you know, occasionally what you say in here. But I, th- I think I got a better idea. Are you submitting to his good authority? You see, the story of Christianity is the story that says that it's only when we acknowledge that God is God and we are not, and we submit ourselves to his good authority, it's only when that happens that true human flourishing happens. True human flourishing does not happen when you are true to yourself. True human flourishing happens when you are submissive to God. And what better evidence do we have that when that doesn't happen, everything goes wrong. Yes, there are good aspects of our creation, but look around. When we reject our creator and try to create ourselves in our own image, things go terribly, horribly wrong. Is this not, does this not explain the state of our world today? So as we make our way to Christmas, the significance of the creation story is that this God who needs nothing owes us nothing, was eternally happy all by himself. Like, it's not as though God, you know, was alone for a couple hours, had a good time, then got lonely. So he's like, ah, I'll just, I'll make a bunch of people to hang out with. No, God existed eternally. He was existing eternally. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfectly happy. There was no need for him to create us other than the fact that God so desired to invite us in to his story, to share his goodness and value to us. Not because he needs it. Because we do. God is inviting us this Christmas season into a better story than we could ever write ourselves. So this morning, friends, Submit to this God who is infinitely greater than you could ever imagine and at the same time infinitely closer than you could ever hope. God is not aloof and far off. He did not just start this creation project and then step away to see how it goes. No, God cares intimately about you, about your situation. He knows your name and he's inviting you into his story. Will you submit to him as creator this morning? Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are good, you are holy, you are high and lifted up, you are so unlike us, yet in your infinite wisdom and kindness, you invite us into a better story, a better way than we could make for ourselves. Oh, Heavenly Father, forgive us for trying to create ourselves in our image, for trying to create you in our image, for trying to be the rulers and masters of our own life. Would you help us by your Holy Spirit 
to joyfully submit to your good authority and your good design. That we would trust that you know better than we do. We would glorify you as we walk in submission and obedience. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.